Okay, that, is that yours? Okay. Morning, folks. It's, uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, I'm a little burdened for your pastor. I'm hoping we can get him a little more energetic and enthusiastic. Uh, it is a delight to, to be with you. I've uh, been in the area here a number of times over the years and uh, with a dear pastor friend, uh, Bob Maddox, this weekend, and we were setting up arrangements to come out. He said, you're going to be in another church Sunday morning, so I'm delighted to be with you folks and appreciate your hunger for the Lord, desire for God. Um, how, how many teenagers are here? Just raise your hand for a second. Um, I want you to hear something. You're going to be impressed with this. I have never, I'm 55, I have never in my life smoked a cigarette. Oh, wait, now hang on, hang on, there's more. I have never had a cup of coffee in my life. Oh, all right, you ready for this? I have never eaten a Big Mac. That's the one that always astounds people for some reason. We've asked the wrong guy to come preach today. Um, On the flip side, I was shooting heroin by the time I was 15. Somehow just passed the other stuff along the way. Started getting high when I was 14 years old, just kind of caught up in the counterculture rock scene of the 1960s and shooting heroin at 15 and a, a real rebellious, proud, wicked kid. The first church service I attended in August of 1971, I went there to pull my best friends out. And a young lady knew me from high school and wrote down in her journal, Antichrist comes to church. So I was I was lost. Um, some years later, my wife saw a picture of me in my unsaved days with, with my long hair, and, and she started laughing. And I said, uh, and for me, it was rebellion. You know, that, that's why I was growing my hair long and so on. And she, she saw a picture of me. She started laughing. And I said, you're laughing because I look like a woman. She said, no, I'm laughing because you look like an ugly woman. <laughs> and uh, if, if, if you go to my website... Uh, I just want to say something to a young man uh, over here. Uh, you look a whole lot better with your long hair than I did with mine. Just wanted to tell you that. It looks better on you than it looked on me. just want to let you know that. Uh, but uh, if, uh, if you go to my website, askdrbrown.org, just jot it down. We've got hundreds of hours of free resources there for you on revival and Jesus revolution and, and Israel. Ask Dr. Brown. It's askdrbrown.org. Uh, you can also watch my testimony from LSD to PhD uh, with some of the, some of the details there. You know, God's, God's mercy. AskDrBrown.org and uh, you can find out more about what the Lord's been doing over these years. Let me just mention this and then we'll get into the Word. Uh, two of the most important books that I wrote, Whatever Happened to the Power of God and It's Time to Rock the Boat, been out of print for a number of years and we, we just put them back in print, uh, two books in one. Uh, they will stir your heart. They will open your eyes. They will challenge you to go deeper in God. Uh, ask some of the questions you've asked in, uh, through the years. Uh, so there are two volumes in one. Whatever happened to the power of God and it's time to rock the boat. Uh, you can get them uh, at the table on the way out at a reduced price. Do you have this? I do not. All right, you do. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Uh, and uh, how, how many are aware that the issue of, of homosexuality and same-sex attraction is, is quite a big issue these days. You ever heard of Prop 8 in California? Oh, we are in California, sorry. Uh, God has called me right into the thick of the controversy to reach out uh, to the gay and lesbian community with compassion, but to resist gay activism with courage. A couple years ago, I did a debate in Charlotte with a leading gay activist. In fact, he's now on President Obama's Faith Advisory Council, Harry Knox, And it's called The Christian Response to Homosexuality. This is really eye-opening. You'll see how to address these issues with the love of God and yet to stand clearly on what the Scripture says. I got a really neat uh, email a few months back from a young man who was uh, bound by drugs and homosexuality. And his partner was a backslider that we had sent this uh, series of DVDs to, including this debate. And he watched it and got really angry with me. He was hating me for the stand that I was taking, but he kept feeling so much compassion coming through my words that he couldn't throw the thing away. Anyway, he, he emailed me to say that he's gloriously saved now, and God has changed his life uh, by the truth of the gospel. So you can grab that on the way out, some other resources. All right, let's, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we love you and we honor you. 
We're here for one reason. It's to see you glorified. God, I pray you'd open our hearts and our minds. We've heard so much preaching and teaching through the years. God, we need to encounter you through your word afresh. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. I thank you for every good thing you're doing in this body. And I pray that you would take us deeper today in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Let's turn to Luke chapter 19. When I walked in, I, I saw a New King James Bible on the resource table. I said, is that what your pastor reads from? I was told, yes. Anyway, this is the smallest print I've seen in quite a while. But I, I, will, I will somehow handle this. If I can. This is really small print. This is really small print. Yeah, I'll use yours and you use this. See how much faith you have after all. Talk is cheap. Let's see you read that thing. There we go. That is small print. That's why it's still on the table. hasn't sold yet. Aha! Uh-huh. Luke 19. We talk about revival. In its essence, we're talking about a season of unusual divine visitation. God showing up in reality, in power, in a way that is out of the norm that has out-of-the-norm effects. It's almost like you go to a church service and you're shocked because God is there. No, no, He's always there. No, no, you don't understand. He was there. And, and revival is not something that we put on or work up. I'm from New York. I'm a New York Jew. We were in Pensacola, which is, is Florida, right on the Alabama border really the heart of the Bible Belt in America. And in the South, you have this custom of of having revivals. And and you hold revival services. And and you'll drive by, especially a few times of the year, it would be really prominent. You go driving down the street, and you see signs, maybe it's September 1st, and you see a sign, revival, September 12th through 14th. It'd be on the marquee. And then you drive down the block a little longer. You know, revival, September 18th to 20th. And, and they would say, oh, we're holding a revival next month. And I tell people every month, you can no more hold a revival than you can hold a hurricane. <laughs> oh, we got a revival scheduled for next month. You can no more schedule a revival than you can schedule an earthquake. Revival's not something that people work up. Revival's something God sends down. Season of unusual divine visitation. One revival scholar, James Edwin Orr, said that, that he was driving through California one time and noticed a sign that said revival every night except Monday. <laughs> and sure enough, sure enough, he went a little further and saw another sign in front of another church that said revival every Monday. <laughs> revival is a season of unusual divine visitation. God comes down. People have been in church for years and are bored and and have no interest in God suddenly have an encounter. People have been away from God, drawn back. Sinners radically converted. A season of unusual divine visitation. And and we get pictures of this in different ways in the Word. When, When God visits, when He comes to somebody's home, when He walks into somebody's life in unexpected ways and it shakes everything up. When God comes in revival, it's always more than we expect, and it's different than we expect. And the, and the one place it gets us is on our faces before God. I preached in certain places. I remember being in Finland one time, and there were some young people sitting way in the top, way, way, way back of the meeting. It was a pretty dead meeting, a dead service. And I said to them, if you're bored with church, I don't blame you. I'd be bored too. The same with all of you. You're not here just for performance or to see a person or hear music. You want God. We sang about it. Not just blessings, but God. So here in Luke 19, Jesus is going through Jericho. Verse 2, Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Tax collectors in those days were notorious for extortion and dishonesty. It's not just like we don't like the IRS now because you've got to pay your taxes. and set. No, no. These guys were notorious for dishonesty. And if he was rich, he was rich because of extortion and taking stuff that didn't belong to him. He would be known as a real sinner in his community. And he sought to see who Jesus was 
but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. The assumption being that his name was revealed to Jesus, and now Jesus calls him by name. That's That will get your attention. But he's going to come to your house. He's not just going to give you a blessing or a word or a prophecy or anointing or healing. He's going to come to your house. Let me say this. A lot of us love good services and the moving of the Spirit, but we would rather that God did not come to our house. That's a little too personal, a little too close. We had an awesome, oh, it was an incredible meeting. The Lord moved. We were in His presence for hours. It was glorious. You get in the car to drive away and Jesus is sitting next to you. Yeah, I'm coming to the house with you. I'm coming into the marriage with you. I'm, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to school with you. It's not always what we're asking for. So check this out. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. I mean, he's blown away that Jesus is coming into his house. But when they saw it, the crowd, they all complained, saying he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. He should know, but this guy's a foul sinner. Well, Because he's rich, because he's got some money. Jesus is going to his house because he wants to be treated. Well, what's he doing? They're all judging it because they don't understand the heart of God, that that's who he comes from. Those of you who are struggling the most and your heart's furthest away from God or you have the least interest in Him or you're struggling with secret sin and if it was broadcast here on the screen, you'd run out of this building. Jesus is coming for you in particular. That's the love of God and the heart of God. But look at what happens. There is no record of Jesus saying another word here at this point. There's no record of Him preaching. There's no record of Him speaking anything out. He may have, but it's not recorded. All we know is that Jesus, Yeshua, walks into this man's house, and this is what happens. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he's also son of Abraham. Isn't that incredible? Maybe this man had been in the synagogues. Maybe this man had heard teaching. Maybe this man had been exposed to the truth of God's Word for years and years. But he was living in sin. His heart was hard. He was, he was dishonest. He was extorting money. He was taking advantage of people. Making people poor so he could be rich. And he was doing it and going on doing it. And a scary thing. It's a scary thing for us that you can be following Jesus on a certain level. You can be in service raising hands. You, you can be going through the motions. You can be going to your Bible study with your friends and still be practicing sin. And, and still be harboring something, walking in bitterness, walking in anger towards someone, walking in unforgiveness, secret habit of lust. And we're still going through the motions and what happens is our hearts get hard. Our consciences become seared. Over a period of time, we lose the conviction and the nearness, but we still go through the religious habit. It's scary, but it happens. I mean, you ever wonder, you hear about some famous preacher or something like that, and he's up there preaching, and, he's, and he seems so powerful and so anointed, and you find out the guy's been in, living in adultery for the last three years? You think, how can you do it? We can become professional. We can get into a religious habit. It can happen. And, and, and here's the deal. We don't backslide overnight. Our hearts don't grow hard overnight. Little by little, we saturate ourselves with what's on TV and the movies and the violence and the sex and all the unclean junk. And it begins to pollute us and change us. We hardly even realize it. It happens little by little by little. You know, you look at me, it, it, it does not take a rocket scientist to see gray hair and a gray mustache. But can I tell you something? My mustache had turned completely gray and I didn't even notice it. So, someone came up to me, hadn't seen me for some years, said, man, what happened to your mustache? It's all gray. I thought, what are you talking about? <laughs> now, now, here's the deal. Number one, when, when my hair is real dark brown, my mustache was a lighter brown and kind of reddish. So as I just kind of thought it was getting lighter. And because you see it every day, you don't recognize it. 
I've been to Italy many times, but I hadn't been to one region for a while. I went back to preach there. A lady came up to me. She said, hey, what happened to you? You got old and fat. <laughs> Thank you, sweetheart. You look wonderful yourself. <laughs> but, but Listen, many years ago, when I started teaching in a ministry school on Long Island, I, I went to this, this discount clothes dealer, whatever it was, some warehouse thing. And I got three suits, really good price, these three-piece suits, which were the thing then in, in the 80s. I got three of them. And, and they, they fit me pretty well, maybe the slightest bit tight, but they, they fit me decently well. Some years later, we had moved to Maryland. And, and I had already figured out, I already worked this out, that somehow in the process of the move, the scale... On the, it must have been on the truck or something, just shift it a little bit because the weight was a little high. But I figured that out. That was in the process of the move. But it had been some years had gone by, and I thought, you know, I got those suits there. I wonder how they fit me. Now listen to this. It wasn't one suit, two, three. It was three suits. Every one of them shrunk dramatically. I don't know if it was a climate thing from New York to Maryland. Have you had that happen? It's extraordinary. The suit, the dress, it shrunk dramatically. Now look, I, I knew I had put on a little weight, but there is no way I ever could have fat in the, fit in those suits. See, what happens is we become unconscious of the backsliding that happens in our own heart. Just like the changes that take place in our life, the sensitivity that was once there, the passion, the conviction, the hunger, the thirst, it's not there anymore. Jesus rebukes the church in Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus in Revelation 2, and says, you've left your first love. We don't do it normally overnight and we tend to not be conscious of it. And whatever position we find ourselves, we get used to. And what happens is God comes. Sometimes we're crying out because we know something's missing, something's wrong. Or we start to get desperate because we see something that's now got us. Maybe it's some secret pornography habits. You, you can't believe it. It's, how did this thing get in my life? And it's a stronghold. Or you just see, boy, I, I'm not who I used to be. I don't have a burden for the lost anymore. Or it's got a drudgery to read the Word or prayer. Something just seems to be missing. Or, or someone who's close to you gets a burden. They begin to pray and cry out and intercede. Something happens. God begins to draw near. This, this season of unusual divine visitation, it can happen individually, it can happen corporately. But suddenly our eyes are open. Suddenly we become sensitive to sin. Oh my God, how could I live like this? We recognize our distance. We recognize our coldness. And, and we get a fresh glimpse of God. You know, it happens to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. He goes into the temple to worship. It, it, you could argue he went into the earthly temple in Jerusalem and encountered the Lord or else he had a vision of the heavenly temple. I often think that he just went into the temple as he often did in Jerusalem in Isaiah the 6th chapter and he goes in there and he's undone. Oh my God! God's here. Well, yeah, God's always in the temple. No, no, you don't understand. God is here. And his eyes are open. He sees the glory of the Lord. He hears the seraphim crying out, Kadosh, 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 Adonai Tzvaot, Melachohar, Kadosh. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts filling the whole earth with His glory. Well, He knew these truths. He knew God was the holy. He knew all about it. We know all about it. But in revival, it becomes real. You know, it's like you knock in your neighbor's door. Jesus is risen from the dead. Yeah, you've told me that. No, no, no. He's really risen. The reality of it hits us. The truth of it hits us. What we knew, what we understood, what we could explain, what we could teach suddenly becomes real. Come on, if we walked, and I'm not saying this to condemn anyone or put this to anyone down, I'm saying this to all of us. If we walked in the reality of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, if we fully were gripped by, by the unbelievably massive reality of that, we change the world. Thrown in prison in the process of changing the world. Thrown in prison and changed the world. Isaiah encounters the Lord. And what does he say? Woe is me, I'm undone. No, 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 no. I say you got it all wrong. You're supposed to say, hey dude, man upstairs, I've been waiting to meet you. Let me tell you, i got some needs. If you can just work out some package deal, I'll serve you. No, he doesn't. you don't come into God's presence and start making deals. 
and all the cool little things that, that Jesus can do for me. And yeah, I got, a, I got a list here. No, when you come into his presence as a human being in the presence of a holy God, even if you're a prophet like Isaiah, you're undone. Because suddenly we begin to see ourselves for who we really are. Now, now let me say this again. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And on the very best day that I've ever had in God, I stand because of His mercy. <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? If, if, if we could really have a spiritual mirror into which we could gaze and see fully who we are, we'd be on our faces pleading for mercy. God knows that's who we are and He loves us deeply. And He's extraordinarily patient with us. And He's drawing close to us and blessing us because of His goodness, because of His love, because of His grace. But in these seasons of unusual divine visitation, God comes. There, one of my favorite stories from past moves of God, and thankfully by God's grace, I can tell you many stories from things I've seen firsthand and experienced. One of my favorite stories from the past, Hebrides Revival, 1949 to 1952. Small islands off the, off the coast of Scotland. Very, very traditional, reserved, conservative people. They had become stale and dead in their religion. Young people... No interest in God. God began to move in extraordinary ways. The stories are mind-boggling. One of my favorite stories. Duncan Campbell was the principal vessel through whom God used, through whom God worked in the Hebrides revival. He's at a convention, getting ready to speak, and the Lord speaks to him, go to Burnaray, preach. Burnaway is one of these little islands in the Hebrides. never been there. Doesn't know anyone there. Go to Burnaway. Three times the Lord speaks to him. He goes to the head of the convention and says, I can't stay and speak. There's going to be a keynote speech. I can't stay and speak. I've got to go to Burnaway. Tells them what happened. They conclude, okay, this is the Lord. You've got to go. So the next day he travels from where he is, gets a plane, flies into Glasgow, Scotland. And then he's got a travel further. And these days, I mean, the travel takes longer and it's harder, etc. And, and he goes from Glasgow, I believe, to a place called Stornoway. And then he gets in a boat. He doesn't, he doesn't know anybody where he's going. He's tired. He's been traveling for a good number of hours. He's got his luggage with him. He gets in a boat. He doesn't say anything to the people operating it. They don't say anything to him. They're all strangers. He gets off in the island of Burner. He doesn't know anybody there. He's completely unannounced. There's a boy walking in the fields. He says to him, Excuse me, are there any churches here? They said, no, no, sir. Boy, says they're, they're closed. He said, are there any elders? He said, oh, yeah, right up there on the top of the hill, there's an elder, one of the church elders. And he said, could you go and tell him that, that Campbell is here? Duncan Campbell. If he asked which one, tell him that the Campbell of Lewis Island, because that's where they had this great awakening. And the boy comes running back. He said, yes, sir, you are expected. You'll be staying at so-and-so's home, and the first meeting is scheduled for tonight at 9 o'clock. <laughs> What happened was this elder had become so terribly burdened at the backslidden state of the people in his island, the hundreds of people that lived there and the church doors closed, that he spent an entire day, instead of working, he went to the barn and spent an entire day in prayer. And three times his wife came to check on him to see, is he okay? He's out there praying the whole day. And each time she went out, she heard him saying, Lord, I don't know where he is, but you know where he is, so send him. He was specifically asking God to send Duncan Campbell to minister there. And when he finally got the assurance, he went and announced to the people, Duncan Campbell will be here tomorrow night and he will be speaking in the first services thus and such a time. And you have to understand, Campbell, you'd still get online and hear some of his sermons. He's with the Lord now for many years. But he was the ultimate no-high preacher. And God came in the meeting... And that's the way he would talk. And that was just right for those people because they were no hype kind of people. So they hold the first meeting. And maybe there's 75 people. I forget the exact number. There, there's several hundred on the island. So it was a good crowd. But nothing happens. Dead service. Such a dead service that despite the supernatural way that everything happened, Campbell is discouraged. He's tired, he goes there, it's supernaturally arranged, and nothing happens. And as they're leaving the meeting, they're on top of a hill, people walking down the hill, going back to the meeting. 
elder says to Campbell, don't be discouraged. He says, I, I sense the, the chariots, <laughs> the chariot wheels, chariots of fire. I, I sense God coming near. And suddenly he stops. He takes off his hat. He says, Mr. Campbell, stop. Look, God has come. And as the people, they went to the service, nothing happened. As the people are walking down from the building, down the hill, the Spirit of God falls upon them. And they begin to fall to their knees and begin to cry out repentance and wailing, seeking the face of God. And Campbell said, that night, every household in the island got touched. God came. God came. Here we were in the midst of, of Pensacola, this kind of nowheresville. It was hard to get there. There's only a regional airport, not even a national airport there. Churches in the middle of a rundown community. God came and visited. And one of the most remarkable stories I heard, we got to know the, the woman as, as a member of the church. She's driving by the building. I mean, we had a visitation that lasted the better part of five years. She's driving by the building. She's unsaved. She has no interest in God, no thought of God whatsoever. She's driving by the building and suddenly she becomes aware of the presence of God. The building is nothing. But God was doing something there in that region, in that place. She drives by. She suddenly becomes deeply aware of the presence of God. She comes under deep conviction and begins weeping in her car. Nobody preached her. Nobody said a word to her. She begins weeping in her car under conviction of sin and cries out for mercy and is wonderfully radically saved right in her car driving by a church building. Good question to ask ourselves is where is the power of the Gospel? The way God moves in the Word well, your pastor said earlier, we should see the ministry of Jesus duplicated through us. That's God's heart. Yeah, thank God for everything He does. Thank God for all good fruit you see. Thank God for every step forward. But the more you go after Him, the more you know there's got to be more. There's got to be more. There's no way you can convince me as I'm reading this New Testament and the promises of God that we're working in anything near the fullness of God. That's not bad news. That's good news. If the Lord came to me and said to me tonight, Michael, you have now arrived at the highest level of anointing and ministry that you will ever experience in life. Man, that'd be the worst news I've ever heard in my life. If he came in and said to me, you are about to begin. You have, you have operated at 3% of your potential and you're about to begin. That'd be the most amazing news I could ever hear. You read the Word, you look at the Scriptures, you have the vision, the promise of God, you see what's happening, you say there's got to be more. And it's not so much numbers, but the quality of God in our midst. The reality of God. Not just talk, but suddenly, boom, arrows begin piercing our hearts with conviction. Boom, suddenly there's power to overcome things that had us enslaved. Boom, suddenly there's fresh love for Jesus. Suddenly you just want to be with Him for hours. He's our all in all. Where's the power of the Gospel? Revival is a season of unusual divine visitation. God breaks out in power. God breaks out with deep conviction of sin. Luke, the fifth chapter, Jesus tells His disciples to, to push out in the boat. They're just getting used to who He is. They've been fishing all night. They're fishermen. They're fishing at the right time, in the right place, and no results. He now tells them to go out in the wrong place at the wrong time. But because he says so, fine. And they throw down the nets. Jesus is in the boat with Peter. They throw down the nets, and suddenly the nets start to get so full that as they're bringing the fish in, the nets are getting so full, fish just leaping, that the other boat, the other disciples has to come alongside. Now check this out. There's so many fish that they start throwing in the boat, the boats start to sink. This is one of the most unreal pictures you can imagine. And what does Peter say? Whoa, I signed up with the right Lord. Do you know how much money we could make with these fish? We could have the most prosperous business in Galilee. Woo, I could see it right now. And we'll, we'll always put the name of Jesus in there to glorify Him. Look, thank God for His provision in meeting our needs, but that's not what happened with Peter right then. You know what he does? 
he falls to his knees and says to Jesus in a boat in the middle of the sea, middle of the lake, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. Bear in mind, he didn't know Jesus could walk on water at that point either. But you realize what happens? He saw the miracle working power of God. He thought, this is real. Look, God, God appreciates our devotion when we feel nothing and see nothing and we still serve Him by faith. God appreciates that we, we just live like soldiers in the battle and we're going to go forward and do what's right, period. But He wants to give us more. Yes, we walk by faith and not by sight, but our faith is realized with an experience in God. The invisible God making Himself known. But I tell you, when He comes, He doesn't first come just to add something to us to make us bigger and better. He comes to change us. You know, a lot of people pray, God bless America, and I would certainly rather see God bless America than curse America. But I don't pray much, God bless America. I pray a different prayer. Because God bless America can kind of mean make us bigger, make us better, make our economy stronger, make our military bigger, etc. I'm not saying that's all wrong. But I pray, God, your kingdom come to America. Because that means upheaval. That means shaking. That means change. That means justice. That means righteousness. That means that God will make us what He wants us to be. That's what happens in revival. The kingdom of God comes to us. And suddenly we are undone. Suddenly where pride was standing in the way, we see it in all its ugliness and fall on our faces. Where fear of man was standing in the way. Where, where unwillingness to step out into a calling of God was in the way. All of it just gets thrown by the side because He's everything. Vision becomes clear again. And you have it over and over in the Word and over and over in the history of revival. When God draws near, Malachi 3, He comes like a refining fire. We take what looks like pretty good gold. It looks fine to me. We throw it in the refiner's fire and suddenly all the impurities begin coming up to the surface. Just this morning I was washing off a toothbrush and turned the water on hot and was reminded once again that the hotter it is, the better it washes. You want God to come, friends, it gets hot. Because He wants to scrub away the things that are displeasing. And you've got to remember, if it's displeasing to Him, it's harmful to you. You've got to remember, you know, kids growing up, they think mom and dad are just trying to steal their fun. Our daughters now are 32 and 31, and and, and each of them with, with a couple of kids. And... When they were teenagers, I did a little exercise with them. I said, I want you to write down on a list everything we are doing wrong as parents and everything you would do differently if you were parents. So, of course, it was no rules. It was no curfew. It was, you know, just whatever. So, I mean, they laugh out loud because they remember. I think they even have the list of what they wrote down now that they're raising their own kids between three and nine years old. Okay. But you find out that when your parent says, don't run into the street without looking both ways, it's not because they're trying to curtail your enthusiasm. It's because they want you to live another day. (laughs) One of the Puritans said, there's nothing destroyed by sanctification but that which would destroy us. The things that God's going to burn out of us when revival comes are things that are destructive. It's like burning out cancer cells from a body. God comes as a refiner's fire. And it says in Malachi 3, when He comes, who can endure the day of His coming? And this is one of the amazing things of revival. We pray for God to come. We long for Him to come. We ask Him to come. And then when He comes, it's too much. It's too intense. It's too heavy. It's too costly. All this repentance stuff, we didn't ask for that. The fire's real hot, Lord. How about just some joy? Well, the joy comes bigger and better than you could ever imagine when the junk gets out. When the conscience is clean before God, the burden's lifted, there's more joy than you know how to handle. And the joy may come first and lead to repentance. But the fact is, the reason we need revival is because something's wrong. Charles Finney said revival presupposes declension. It presupposes that the church is sunk down in the backslidden condition. And revival consists 
and the return of the church from her backslidings and the conversion of sinners. America desperately needs revival. The Church of America desperately needs revival. And many of us need revival. Just a couple more minutes and I'm done. I'll give you an opportunity to respond. As, as a, a New Yorker and as a New York Jew, as I was explaining and teaching the other night here, a sarcasm runs in my veins. And uh, when I'm in the spirit, it can be sanctified sarcasm. In the flesh, it's sinful sarcasm. And most of the time, somewhere in between. But, but I wrote a poem, a sarcastic poem, one of many, actually, uh, called Prayer for a Nice Revival. Prayer for a Nice Revival. One of the stanzas says something like this. Oh, God, come and quench this longing of our soul, but please, oh, Lord, leave us in control. Oh, God, send your glory, send your power, but please, oh, Lord, keep it to an hour. (laughs) Do you want a blessing? Do you want a nice service? Or do you want God? Do you want an occasional manifestation of the Spirit in a, a neat miracle? Or do you want God? Jesus comes to the Gadarenes in Mark, the fifth chapter. There's a severely demonized man. He's naked. He rips his clothes off. He cuts himself with rocks. They they bind him with chains. He breaks the chains. He lives out in the graveyard. Jesus comes, and the man is miraculously delivered. Jesus drives so many spirits out of him, thousands. They, they, They go into this herd of pigs, and the pigs run down an embankment and drown in the river. And the people come to Jesus... Beg him to leave. Beg him to leave. It's too much. Too intense. Too disruptive. And you know something else? If you've got a guy that bad, that demonized, that crazy, then whatever sin I have is really not so bad. But when he gets delivered, and he's now clothed and in his right mind, and he's holy, what excuse do I have? I'm almost done, but come on, some of you have had this happen. Your spouse starts to really go after God and you're so happy. You're so happy because they're really meeting God until they start to get holy. And they start to get uneasy about maybe forms of entertainment or lifestyle or, or attitude or speech or things like that or dress or behavior. And now it starts to convict you. No, no, I'm enjoying you meeting with the Lord. We're not talking about being legalistic and laying condemnation on people. We're not talking about that. We're talking about starting to encounter God. They're weeping in the presence of God, and you think, I haven't shed a tear in the presence of God for ten years. They just can't wait to, to, to worship the Lord, and you're like, that's a little boring for me, to be honest. <laughs> Suddenly, one of your friends in your youth group, they just, they got to witness to everybody. we got to tell our friends about Jesus. Like, do you have to be so bold about it? They're, like, they're embarrassing me. Suddenly, realize I'm ashamed of the gospel. You know, it's better if we could just all be kind of lukewarm together. First fellowship of the lukewarm. You know, our, our ministry is called fire. Our school, our church, our missions organization. It's like we're constantly convicted by our own name. How can we be lukewarm and be called fire? God wants to visit. And it begins in individual lives. There are many of you here that used to walk a certain way with God, a passion, a reality, a hunger, a thirst, meeting with Him. And that's now a, such a distant memory that you didn't even get reminded of it until I was speaking this morning. Some of you, well, there was a passion for the, the lost or love for the Word. Or you used to step out in faith boldly until you hit some walls. The person you were praying for died and that prophecy didn't seem to come to pass and wind was knocked out of your sails and you've never been the same. Some of you used to be so careful with your thought life and now... Even as I'm sitting here, you've been battling unclean thoughts. God wants to touch you today. God wants to visit you. God wants to begin something new and fresh. And in particular, those who've left their first love, He wants to bring back and change. Stand to your feet with me. The late 70s to the early 80s, I began to get spiritually cold. I was finishing up my Ph.D. work. Uh, Even though I was a very committed Christian, I was getting intellectually, theologically proud. I was 
a fraction of who I had been in terms of passion, hunger, thirst for the Lord. And my sister-in-law began to pray for me, told me I'd lost the anointing, and I I was very hostile towards her for saying that. My wife really was praying because she knew something was missing. And God answered their prayers, and God brought me into deep, deep conviction, repentance through late 82, and then suddenly God got hold of me, and the Spirit fell on me and through me and revolutionized our church. I mean, we had a move of God. Something exploded. There have been times over the years I get convicted. I'm so busy doing the work of ministry that I've left my first love. And if I was in that state in a meeting like this, I'd be the first one to come back and respond. So I'm going to pray. And if God's speaking to you through this message, if He's convicting you, and I'm not talking just one person that is a serial killer that happened to walk in here today, okay? I'm speaking to a good number of people. If God's been convicting you and speaking to you through this message, as soon as I pray, I want you to come forward and begin to pour out your heart to God. You don't, you don't need someone to pray for you right off the bat. The biggest thing is, between you and God, be honest. If He's convicting you, if He's convicting you of leaving your first love, if there are habits, if there are things in your life that you know are wrong in His sight, if you're ashamed of Him, if, if the fire is not there, He wants to touch you. This is not to condemn. This is to bless. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that You touch Your people. I pray that fire would fall. I pray, oh God, that change would come. I rebuke every lie of Satan, every lie of hopelessness, every lie that says it's too late, it'll never happen. I pray, God, in Jesus' name, for freedom in Your Spirit, for repentance to be granted, and for today to be the beginning of personal revival in many lives here. In Jesus' name, amen. If that's you, come on up. Don't wait for anybody else. Step out from your seats. You've got to push your way through the aisle. And just begin to talk to the Lord. Be honest with Him. He knows everything anyway. There's no condemnation. Bless your name, Jesus. If He's dealing with you, just come on up. Get in the front. Jesus. Come on, young people, if He's speaking to you. God convicted me of something where my heart had grown cold. And I hardened my heart to it. He didn't speak to me about it again for five years. Don't let years of your life go by. This may be a warning that you won't hear again for a long time. If He's dealing with you, come on up. Oh, God, change us. Soften our hearts. Soften our hearts, oh God. Break off the chains. Just open your hearts to God. Just talk to Him quietly or out loud, however you need to do it. Gracious God. Gracious God. If God set His love on us when we were foul sinners in rebellion, how much more does He set His love on us now as His children wanting to please Him? God, break our hearts and bring change. Bring change. Bless Your name, Jesus. Keriabasati koromo. Light, life, shining. Anybody else? God's dealing with you. You say, yeah, but if I come up, it means I'm going to have to make a break with that thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'll be thrilled that you did. You'll be thrilled that you did. Freedom. Are you ashamed of the Gospel? Are we ashamed of the Gospel? Break free today. Blessed be your name, Lord. Blessed be your name, God. Spend a few minutes in His presence. Visit us, O God. Visit us, O God. Visit us, O God.
Father, this day we set ourselves apart to you. Father, in Jesus' name, we turn away from everything displeasing. By the blood of Jesus, we renounce everything in our lives that should not be there. Just before the Lord, be honest with Him. If there's things you know that are wrong in His sight, ask Him to cleanse you and wash you and renounce it right here and now. If you've got to go home and confess to a spouse or sit with someone else and say, I've got to come clean on this, whatever it takes, do it. If it's just recognizing the distance that you are from where you used to be, remember the Scripture, draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. Take a step in the right direction. When you go home before the day's out, take another step in the right direction. When you wake up tomorrow, take another step in the right direction. Before you know it, your life will be changed. Gracious God. Do surgery on us, God. Shine the light of your Spirit on us. Turn up the heat. Bring the impurities to the surface. And wash us clean. You've been away from God. He welcomes you back. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, He welcomes you with open arms. said that revival is not about an outward change or outward manifestations. It's about our hearts turning back to Jesus. And once our hearts turn, everything else changes. Our behavior, our decisions. The, the visitation of God is for the purpose of change in our hearts. So we pray, Father, I pray that your visitation would really be a permanent dwelling in this house. For you to visit and then to disappear would be too much for us to handle. We are asking you and inviting you to dwell here. Yes, Lord. And we give you our hearts this morning for you to do that work. I pray, Father, for dreams, visions, and revelations. We ask you, Spirit of wisdom and revelation, begin to invade our homes, invade our hearts, invade our thoughts, invade our church services. Reveal the love of God to us in just 
undo us all over again so we can truly be a people of devoted worship to Jesus. Jesus, Lord. Thank you, Michael, for drilling right into our, the center of our hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to invite you to stay down if you want, because these kind of sovereign moments are rare, and you don't want to be cheap with them. So you can stay down here. If you want to come down, if you have not come down, you can come down and just marinate in the Lord's presence, and He'll speak to you and touch you. Once you sense that what the Lord wants to do with you right now has lifted, you can obviously head out. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ before, now is the moment. And you can just make your way out of your chair and you can come down here and you just talk directly to Jesus. He's here and He hears you. He knows you by name. And He say, I'm here. I'm yours. I give my life to you. Just come down right here and you do that between you and the Lord. And He'll touch you. Uh, Dr. Brown is going to be at the Connection Church tonight, Bob Mattis' church in Poway at 6 o'clock. And uh, it's going to be a, well, if there's anything like Friday night when I was there for the School of the Supernatural, it's going to be powerful. Sometimes you've got to be in this straight preaching revival atmosphere more than once for it to break up the heart and set you free. So if you're free tonight, even if you're not, change your plans and go tonight to the connection at 6 o'clock. God, thank you for allowing uh, Dr. Brown to be with us today. I bless in your name, Jesus, this congregation. I thank you that your face is shining on us. Your grace is upon us. That you have made us the light of the world and the salt of the earth. May that light, because of today's message and our heart turn, shine brighter for others to see and have hope. And may our saltiness be more preserving and may we not be intimidated to stand up for justice and righteousness in your name and our city. You can either stay here and just be in the Lord's presence for a while. We'll be sensitive with the breakdown of instruments and stuff. We'll be as quiet as we can. And for everybody that's about to leave, go be who you are, the light of the world and the salt of the earth. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Dr. Brown, for being here today and touching us like this. And don't forget to go to Dr. Brown's table, his books, his tapes, his resources are out there. Please pick some up on your way out.